Our Father in heaven, as the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, we ask that tonight you would make your light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of your own self in the face of Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Galatians chapter 1, found on page 1168, if you're using one of the church Bibles. So our new series, No Other Gospel, and the plan tonight is to look at chapter 1, verses 1 to 10, kind of as an introduction to the entire book. It's where we're going this evening. And as we read chapter 1, 1 to 10, uh, mull over the question in your mind, if I was deciding what song or piece of music would be the background, the soundtrack to Galatians, what would I pick? Does that make sense as a question? What would be the soundtrack to what Paul is saying? What is the tone with which he writes? So let's go, Galatians 1, 1 to 10. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ. And are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have said already, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Have you got the piece of music in your mind? See, when you're watching a movie, the soundtrack that goes along with it plays a key role in your appreciation and enjoyment of what is happening. So in a particular scene or sequence, the piece of music behind it kind of draws you in, engages your emotions, and almost sets you up for what is coming. So take, for example, Jaws. Now, I've never seen Jaws, but we all know the music to Jaws, don't we? Can you play it on the piano, Phil? You can't. It's a very complicated piece of music. All it goes, dun, dun. you know that? It's not a very, you would play it better. But you know the music. Now, when that music comes on for Jaws, you know that that sorrowful individual swimming in the sea is not about to fulfill their lifetime ambition of swimming with dolphins. Are they? They're not. What is going to happen? They're about to get munched because the music sets you up for what is coming, doesn't it? I went to see the Muppets movie last week. It is brilliant. Because as soon as you go in, the music is so happy and clappy and smiley and nice that you cannot help but smile. If you got those, the movie from Jaws and the soundtrack from the Muppets, it would be a very confusing, very different experience. But the, the tone of a book 
is critical to make sure you understand what is going on. What is the tone of this book of Galatians? What would be the music you would put behind it? Well, often the Apostle Paul starts off on the same kind of note. He's got a similar uh, kind of uh, opening number that he'll begin his epistles with. Let me demonstrate. Let's go to, uh, I'll just show you this. Romans chapter 1, verse 8. How does Paul start? What's the tone? I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. What's the tone? Thankfulness. Go to the next book. 1 Corinthians verse, chapter 1, verse 4. I always thank God because of you. Uh, then go on to Ephesians chapter 1. For this reason, I have not stopped giving thanks, the Apostle Paul says. Go on to the next book. Philippians 1 verse 3. I thank God every time I remember you. Go on to the next book. Colossians chapter 1 verse 3. We always thank God. Uh, Go on to the next book. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 2. We always thank God. You getting the point? Next book. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 3. We always ought to thank God. So when you open up Galatians, what are you expecting? I thank God for you. What do we read? Galatians 1 verse 6. Not, I am thankful... I am astonished, gutted, perplexed, astonished that you're doing what? Verse 6, deserting the one who called you and are turning to a different gospel. Astonished. No reason for thanksgiving. This is too much of a crisis to waste time on niceties, Paul says. I'm astonished. In chapter 4, verse, I think it's 20, he says, How I wish I could be with you and change my tone. He would love to start with thanksgiving. But he cannot do anything but say, I am astonished. Why? They're deserting. They're turning from the gospel. The situation is, Acts 13 and 14, Paul and Barnabas go around this region called Galatia. And they church plant all over the place. And while they're there, Paul and Barnabas, you hear them exhorting the believers, stay true to the faith, remain in grace. But in his absence, they have done the opposite. They've begun to turn. So that later in the epistle, he will say, you were running a good race. You were, past tense. But no longer. I am astonished. You know when you go on a plane, you jump on a plane, and uh, the first thing you hear is, ladies and gentlemen, please... Could you pay attention for the flight safety announcement? And it's all very nice and polite. And they'll say, oh, so in, in the unusual event of an emergency, there'll be these disco lights which guide you very nicely to the emergency exits. And uh, these oxygen, oxygen masks will just politely fall in front of you so you can place them on your face. And there's a nice little life vest tucked under neatly in the thing in front of you. Now, that's all very nice. What happens in the event of an emergency. Brace! Brace! The captain shouts, doesn't he? It's not ladies and gentlemen. Would you please brace yourself? It's brace! There's no time for the polite niceties. Well, in Galatians, Paul is not ladies and gentlemen. He's just brace. Brace. I am astonished that you are turning from the gospel. This is a letter into a crisis. This is Christianity on the battlefield. This is a fight for souls that Paul's engaged in. If you like to see this visually, uh, I'd never noticed this in Galatians. Have a look at Galatians 6, verse 11. Here's a little visual illustration of the tone of the letter. 
6 verse 11, see what large letters I used to write to you with my own hand. You know when you get a text in caps lock that you've done something wrong, don't you? Okay, here's Paul, big letters for this one. He's astonished that you are turning from the gospel. So here's where we're going tonight. Uh, These two things will come up on the screen. We're going to look firstly at uh, the one, the who and the what that the Galatians are turning from. Firstly, verses 1 to 5. Then we're going to see the who and the what of what they are turning to. So we're going to see. What are they turning from? What are they turning to? So first, verses 1 to 5. The gospel of God to the glory of God. There's a threefold repetition in the first three verses, which is quite intriguing. In the first five verses. Three times we get mentioned. Look at verse 1. But by Jesus Christ and God the Father. Do you see that? Then again in verse 3, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then in verse 4, we're talking about the works of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse, end of verse 4, God our Father. There's three couplets of the Father and the Son. Why does Paul start there, do you think? He front loads the letter by saying, what I'm writing about is not man-orientated. This is from God. I want you to get this three times. From God the Father, from God the Father, by the will of God the Father. Do you get that? Everything in this letter is going to be from God, by God, to God. That's where he starts. It's an interesting uh, tip as well. If you have a friend who is turning from the gospel, where do you start? Paul says, okay, let me tell you the gospel. It's a little bit like, you know when you're invited out for dinner and you're just about to say no. And make your excuse. I'd love to come, but actually I've kind of got other things to do. And you're turning. And the person says, we're having steak. Oh, <laughs> maybe I will come. I think that's what Paul's doing. These people are turning from the gospel. And he, he holds out the steak. He says, look at what you're turning from. Let me show you the brilliance, the glory, the amazing news of the gospel. That I might stop that turning, that deserting. So here's three things that define the gospel of God for Paul. Number one, it is the gospel that is from God. You see that in verse one? Paul, an apostle, sent not for men, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. Paul was not sent by some committee or group of trustees anywhere. Where was he sent from? God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a divinely commissioned, divinely appointed messenger from God. I think that's why he includes who raised him from the dead. Why does he mention the resurrection there? Well, where did Paul get his commissioning? On the road to Damascus where he met the resurrected Jesus. He is the mouthpiece of the risen Jesus. This gospel is not from man. It is from God. That's the first mark of Paul's gospel. Second thing. It is not only the gospel that's from God. It is the gospel that is by God's rescue. Verse 3. Grace and peace. If you want to sum up the gospel in three words, you don't get better than that. Grace and peace. What is the cause of the gospel? God's grace, his undeserved kindness. Nothing man does. The cause of the gospel, grace. What is the result of the gospel, the effect of the gospel? Peace. Though you were an enemy of God, at war with him, his grace brings peace with God. Grace and peace, Paul says. How does that come about? Well, through the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. 
Your, deser- your sins deserve punishment to consume you, to ravage you. What does Jesus do? Gives himself. Gives himself for our sins. That is the grace that we're shown. Last night, I got back to my flat and I had a piece of mail on the floor in my letterbox. So I picked it up and it was from those friendly people at the speed cameras. Now, you're immediately thinking, and he's been caught speeding. No, that is not true. Two weeks ago, I sold my car. And evidently, the guy who has bought it from me is enjoying it a little bit too much, that he was caught speeding at 40 and a 30. Um, But because the paperwork's still tied up somewhere, I am still the owner. So I get this piece of mail saying, you have been caught speeding doing 40 and a 30. Now, immediately I'm thinking, I need to find this guy's name so that he can be named as the driver. I don't want to take his points, his penalty for his crime. No, no, no. What is the gospel? Jesus gives himself for my penalty. The very thing that I'm outraged about doing for someone else. In the grace of the gospel, Jesus gives his name for my penalty points. He gives himself for my sins. It's the glory of the gospel. And what's the result of that? To rescue us from the present evil age. The gospel is all about a rescue. Do you realize this present age is evil? The world is in slavery, bondage to sin. Devouring us, keeping us in bondage. You feel that? I can't do anything but sin, it feels. What has Jesus done? As Christians, we need to get away from the attitude that the gospel is just something that happened in the past that will only affect my future. What does this say? Rescued us from the present evil age. He's not only dealt with the penalty my sin deserved, he's dealt with the power that it seems to have over me today. So when you're in temptation, what is your claim? What do you grab hold of? What is the promise that you uh, never let go of? You say, Jesus has rescued me for today. It's a rescue from outside of ourselves. Have you seen, what was the movie? It was either called 127 Hours or 128 Hours. Which one was it? 127 Hours. It's about this man who goes rock climbing and his arm gets caught underneath a rock. And so the only thing he can do after 127 hours is to cut off his arm with uh, his own blunt pen knife. That is a self-rescue. That is not Christianity. Christianity is not about uh, getting a knife and rescuing yourself, as much as the Galatian heresy would say. It's not about a knife. It's not a self-rescue. Where is it? It is Jesus coming from without and graciously giving himself for our sins. The fully sufficient gospel. It's not about us ascending to God. It's Jesus descending to us. It's not about us gifting to the God. He gifts it to us. It's not about us calling upon God. It's God calling us. So this is the gospel that is from God. It is by God's rescue. And the third thing we learn, it is to God's glory. If it's his grace, if it's his gift, if it's his rescue, if it's according to his will, who gets the price? Him alone. No one else gets a share. Because the gospel is all of God. From him, through him, to him. You sometimes hear footballers getting interviewed after a game. They've scored a hat-trick and the reporter says, Oh, you had a great game today. And he feigns humility by saying, Ah, it was a team effort. 
When it comes to the gospel, it is not that we can distribute glory around and say, oh, it was a team effort. No, no, exclusively to God alone. His grace, his gift, his rescue. And so Paul in verse 5 bursts into this song of praise. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Normally Paul takes a little bit of working up in his letters to get to that point. In Galatians, it's an instant climax. I think it's because he, it helps him to express his astonishment. This is how glorious the gospel is. What are you doing deserting? I'm astonished that you could turn from this, which God deserves such glory from, the grace that results in peace. He wants these Galatians to see you are In turning from this gospel, you are ignoring the voice of God. You are remaining in your sins. And you are stuck in the bondage of slavery. What are you doing? I'm astonished that you would turn from this gospel. He holds it out like that stake. Come on. See what you're turning from. You'll see that in verse 6, Paul says that to turn from the gospel is to turn from him who called you. You can't abandon the gospel without abandoning God. To turn from the gospel is to turn to what? No gospel at all. You're left with nothing. No good news. No God. Nothing. That's why we read the golden calf incident. The astonishment that they have just been rescued from Egypt. And the same phrase is used. So quickly you're turning to sin. Moses is still up the mountain, receiving from God the law that will teach us how to live as saved people. And he comes down and you're bowing down to a cow. Same thing for the Galatians. Astonished in the light of what God has gifted us in this gospel. It is the gospel from God, by God's rescue, and to God's glory. What then are they turning to? Well, in deserting the gospel of God... They are turning to this perversion of the gospel, which leads to the condemnation of man. Do you see what these men are doing in verse 7? Some people throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. A perversion of the gospel automatically has an effect on people's salvation. You twist the gospel, you harm people for eternity. Uh, What we're going to try to do tonight is just to see what is this perversion? What is it these Galatian troublemakers are doing? So we're going to do a quick scan of the book. And when we do this, we have to kind of mirror rate. You ever listen to one half of a phone call? You're in the room with someone, they're on the phone. And you can work out what the other person is saying, even though you can't hear them. That's what we're doing as we're reading Galatians. Looking at what Paul is saying and trying to work out what is the other end of the conversation. What are these men doing in perverting the gospel of God. Well, three things again, and actually it's the inverse of the three things we've seen about God's gospel. First thing is, they pervert the gospel by making it, they take it from being God-given to being man-made. Have a look at Paul, how he starts the epistle. Paul, an apostle. Then he immediately goes into defensive, doesn't he? Not from men, not by man. Now, why does he do that? Well, it seems like these troublemakers are spreading things around the church saying, do you know that Paul that you've been listening to? He's not all that. The gospel he's got, it's man-made. He's a man-pleaser. You can forget about him. In fact, you can ignore him. It's man-made. It's not God-given like he claims. 
It's man-made. So let me show you that. He says it again in chapter 1, verse 11. Have a look there. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something man made up. Then have a look at chapter 1, verse 15. Where did it come from? Not from man, but when God, who set me apart from birth and called me to, by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Then again, go on to chapter 2, verse 8. Where does this gospel come from? Is it from man? Well, for God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter, an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James and Peter and John, those reputed pillars, gave me and Barnabas a right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. Why does Paul spend the first two chapters of Galatians defending his apostleship? Well, we can mirror read, we can listen to this end of the conversation and say, these men were perverting the gospel by saying that Paul's gospel was just man-made. You can take it or leave it. To do that is to ignore the very mouth that God has chosen to use in proclaiming the gospel to the world. If you ever hear someone casting doubt on the apostle's gospel as it's laid out in the New Testament, let your antenna go up and let the sirens roar. Second thing they do, not only do they take it from being God-given to man-made, they take it from being by grace to be by works. The real problem in Galatians seems to be these Jews are trying to get the Gentile Christians to adopt some Jewish practices. So again, let's mirror read. Let's have a look at chapter 2, verse 15. Have a look at what Paul wants to stress. We who were Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not, he's on the defensive again, not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So too, uh, we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Jump over to, in fact, just look down to chapter 2, verse 21. Again, Paul negatively says, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Why is Paul stressing justification being right with God by faith alone? Well, these perverters are coming and saying, well, you can forget grace. You need to do stuff. You need to add your own works to these things. So come with me to chapter 5, verse 2. What is it that they are specifically saying these Gentile Christians need to do? What is the Jewish practice that they're being urged to fulfill? Chapter 5, verse 2. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you. Just to confirm that, chapter 6, verse 12. Same thing. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. You see the issue? They're saying, okay, if you want to be a real Christian, you need to get circumcised so you can be a real Jew. It's the issue. Now, does that mean it's by grace anymore? No, it means it's by works. And what is Paul saying? If it is by works, Christ died for nothing. He's of no value, the cross. It's the issue. They're perverting the gospel so that it's no longer by grace, but by works. 
Now, what is the instant implication of that for our third thing about the gospel? It perverts it from being to God's glory to being about man's boast. So at the climax of his letter, look what Paul says. Chapter 6, verse 13, 14. Uh, let's go from 13. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. If you start to believe in a gospel that is by works, then you start to boast in yourself. The constant refrain of the New Testament in Paul is that your answer must be, I cannot boast. Let no man boast, Paul says. Boast only in the cross. Why? Because it is from him, through him, and therefore to him. We do not boast in self like these perverting false teachers. And so here come some of the harshest words you may think in the Bible. But even if we or an angel should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. He repeats it. Do you see that? This isn't flying off the handle like David Hay in a press conference. He repeats it. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. To pervert the gospel to change it from God-given to man-made, from grace to works, from God's glory to your own boasting. What does Paul say? It's worthy of eternal condemnation. Eternal hell. Now, now we cringe at that, don't we? We think, oh, that's not politically correct, Mr. Paul. (laughs) That's not very tolerant. We still do have a category of evil, though, don't we? Did you hear about the, uh, the Polish guy who was convicted this week? Uh, he murdered an elderly Italian couple. Listen to the sentence of the judge. He said, you lack all humanity. You are evil beyond belief. We still have this evil category. And Paul says, what is, what is evil beyond belief in terms of biblically? Well, you've robbed from God's glory. It's a definition of sin. And you take others with you. You pervert the gospel. You are condemning not only yourself, but potentially other people to eternal hell. This is more Jaws than Muppets, isn't it? In terms of a tone. How can Paul say that? Well, because he's concerned for God's glory above anything else. And he's concerned for the souls of his Galatian hearers. Martin Luther has quite a good illustration at this point in his uh, little commentary. He says, imagine a parent whose child has just been bitten by a dog. What's the parent's reaction? Well, he comforts, he looks after the child, but he hits the dog. What is Paul doing in Galatians 1? He's saying, okay, I'm going to care for you Galatians. Because I don't want you to follow this false gospel, which is no gospel at all. But he's not a Jesse in that he's going to wimp away from hitting the dog either. He's going to take on these false teachers. And he's going to say, listen, you are perverting the gospel not only to your own condemnation, but to the eternal danger of my hearers. He comforts the children and he hits the dog. 
Do you see the, what they are turning from and what they are turning to? And Paul holds them out. If we are in this act of turning tonight, says, look, look what you're turning from. A gospel of grace that brings peace. Look what you're turning to. No gospel at all that will only bring eternal condemnation. Now, how do we apply this? Uh, well, there's a bunch of things. Let's see how many we can get through. First one. Don't come to Christianity with a kind of CV, personal statement, uh, singles ad mentality. You don't come to Christianity kind of saying, well, I'm quite good at this and uh, I will bring this to the table and I'll add that to the party. Look how good I am. That is not the way to approach Christianity. It is to plead grace and to give God the glory. It is not to say, I have all these things to boast in and I can offer you these, God. No. Because that would leave you with something to boast in, wouldn't it? Paul says it's by grace. So that no man may boast. But we boast only in the cross. On that final day when you stand before the perfect judge, what will your answer be? Point to Jesus and say, he gave himself for my sin. Is there any other answer? No. That's the Christian gospel. He gave himself for my sin. It's the gospel that exalts grace and glorifies God. Second thing, Paul's going to make the application in Galatians. Okay, live your freedom. If he has rescued you and brought you out of the slavery of sin, he has brought you into freedom. So live your freedom. Don't turn the clock back and try and break back into prison, Paul says. Now, some of us will do this different ways. Some of us will go down the line of, okay, if I'm saved by grace, that means I can indulge the sinful nature. I can play around in the old things of sin. Paul says, no, live your freedom. If you go back into the very things that held you captive before, every time you go to sin, you're like putting on the handcuffs again. Putting on the shackles. What are you doing, Paul says? Live your freedom. Some of us will go the other way. We might do both. When we fall into sin, what is our reaction? Oh, we'll turn back to the law to try and get back to the status of where we were at. We will try and do things to bring back our status before God. You been there? I've really mucked up. I'll go to both services this Sunday. I'll read my Bible. In fact, I'll pray for half an hour. What does Paul say of those things in Galatians 4 verse 9? What does he say of the law? But now that you are, now that you know God, or rather are known by God, Galatians 4 verse 9, how is it that you're turning back to these weak and miserable principles? These things cannot save you. They're weak, they're miserable. What is power to save? The grace and peace of the Jesus who rescued you for today. Don't turn to the law. Don't think, I have to do this. Grace. And grace brings peace. Another application. Live for God and not for men. Paul is not a people pleaser, is he? You can't stand up and call down eternal condemnation on people as a people pleaser. Look at what he says in chapter 1, verse 10. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? 
if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. The fear of man and being a servant of Jesus are mutually exclusive. You can't do both. The fear of man is a little gospel that we often set up for ourselves. A false gospel that is no gospel at all. It goes something like, we create a little functional hell for ourselves. Hell would be rejection from those friends. And we set up a little functional heaven. Heaven is acceptance from those friends. And so as a functional savior, we put in their place, well, I will uh, be this type of person, I'll say these type of things, I'll wear those type of clothes, I'll buy that kind of house, I'll drive that kind of car. That's no gospel at all. You cannot live like that and be a servant of Christ. They're mutually exclusive. You need to see the true gospel and live that in light of this little functional gospel you've set up. The hell of being rejected from your friends is no hell compared to eternal condemnation. The heaven of being accepted by that peer group is no heaven compared to the peace with God. And putting yourself in as a savior is slavery compared to the Jesus that brings freedom. Do you see the little gospels we create in our minds? No gospel at all. We need to see the true gospel and let that impact our fear of man. Because Paul puts them as opposites. If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Two more quick applications. One, we need to let this passage kind of tune in our spiritual antenna. Because Paul says, what is the most important thing? Not a messenger, but the message. He calls himself under that own condemnation, doesn't he? He says, even if I preach to you another gospel. Uh, We don't have allegiance to certain preachers, to certain authors, to certain books. What is your allegiance to as a Christian? The unchanging gospel as it's laid down in the Bible. So we include in this, even if I... Even if Paul, even if Liam preaches to you another gospel other than this one, will leave us and stay devoted to the gospel. You need to make sure you know this. Love it in heart, head, and hands. So that you can know this gospel and cling to it above any messenger. Final one. What's the crisis in Galatians? They're turning. And maybe that's you tonight. In Galatians, it seems that part of it was suffering for being someone who followed the cross of Christ. Maybe that's you. Life would be easier if I could just turn desert. Well, see the stake, as Paul says. I see this gospel that is gifted to you in Christ. I don't turn from that. Because you're turning to something that is no gospel at all and you're turning away from God himself. Maybe you've always been turned. Living a life in rebellion. Well, here the Apostle Paul holds up a mirror and says, listen, your life, it seems like freedom. It's actually bondage. It's actually slavery. And here's a Jesus who brings perfect freedom in his grace. It gives you peace by giving himself for your sins. He says, salvation is not by works. It is a gift so that none of us can boast. Let's pray.